Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the telling of a tale as old as time. There are many defining moments in history, and we've created one here with you today. The Sacral Series will be released in nine multi-episode volumes. You'll be taken on a journey through parts of humanity no one wants to travel, yet everyone who does comes out stronger and evidently more whole. They say pain is our greatest teacher. I say acceptance of that pain is a higher powered teacher. We are not always in control of what happens. We are, however, always in control of what we do and how we think about and respond to what happens. You are unique. You are strong. And you are becoming aware of your journey as a whole. The Sacral Series starts now. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back again with, I want to say another installment, but this is another book. So if you're following along right now, chapter one, Moana, has come to an end, obviously, as you noted from the last episode. Welcome to chapter two, book two, Layla. This is the Sacral Series. I am with Don Bates. My name is Adam Walton. I'm here to talk about the book. I'm here to talk about the experience. I'm here to get inside the mind of the woman who put this to paper. I'm here to connect with her so that you have something more to apply to the book itself. Dawn, welcome. Welcome back. Welcome welcome to this. Welcome to this experience. Thank you again for, for what you've put out. Uh, thank you again for the work that you are doing. Thank you again for the, the books that are coming. Uh, it's like I said before, it's a big deal. It's a big thing. It's important that you're doing what you're doing. Uh, thank you again. And welcome back to your show, this show, your series, this, this, this impactful piece, part two, book two, Layla, how are you? Oh, thank you. And I'm a bit shell-shocked, to be honest. Shell-shocked? That, you know, honestly, that doesn't sound like you. I have a feeling that... You know, I, I, you have to explain upon that a little bit better because anyone that knows you knows you're 90% <laughs> giggles. And what is it, 10% glitter pee? I thought that's what you were saying before. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that, yeah, that was a good podcast for Karen. Um, yeah, no, I, I say I'm a bit shell-shocked because the feedback that I had um, following Moana, because, I mean, it, this isn't an easy series of books. Um, it's not easy content to digest. But the um, feedback that I've had um, and the encouragement and the gratitude I've had um, has been very humbling. So I guess when I say shell-shocked, it's the, the sense of, wow, it's all coming together. People want to be part of this. Um, and right on cue, there is a storm coming. Um, I don't know if you just heard the rumble in the background there, um, but um, it's taken a lot of, it's taken a lot out of me, it really has, 
it's kind of exhausting, but it's a relief all at the same time. It's like, finally, this is coming out. I can get rid of this. Not as in get rid of it because it's an, a nasty thing to have inside of me, but I can now release this. It's now time to release this. They say it's easier to acquire more once you give out more. And it's mm. easier, you know, the more you give to the universe, the more room you have to embrace. And when mm. you turn it in and spit it out, not spit it out, but when you turn it in and put it out, you, you know, it, it's definitely good. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy that you are letting this go because what comes next, you know, in the next decade, what comes next? Obviously you've got your, your you know, the, the, the future books in this series, mm. but having the series out will allow you to pull in more. And it's really fantastic. And like you were saying, here comes the storm. You are island hopping right now, which is quite a fun little thing. So ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> listening to this show, you're going to hear some noise in the background because as best as we want to make this happen, you can't pin Dawn down. She's all over the place. So there will be <laughs> family noises in the background, but we'll do our best to make sure that that, uh, that parlays down. Um, but it is, it's all part of the experience. It's all part of working, working with Dawn. It's all part of working on this project. There are things that aren't perfect, but all of it in, in and of its own right becomes one pile of perfect, one experience. Tell me a little bit about Layla. Tell me a little bit about the writing experience. Tell me a little bit about the obstacles that you faced right now by trying to put this book out. And I, I assume that it's late. I assume that based on the timelines that you've given yourself, this book has caused some strife and has, has caused some delays. What's that, what's that like to, to, to miss your own deadlines or to, to, to have a book that's so predominant that it slows you down? Ooh, um, it's frustrating because I don't like being late. Um, I'm like the rabbit in Alice in Wonderland. Um, you know, and it's, I feel like I have let the team down, um, my readers down. It's like, okay, get out of your own way, Dawn. You haven't let anybody down, like the fact that the book is still being birthed. You know, no baby is delivered on time. So, you know, if that amount of life can't be delivered on time, I mean, what is on time? Um, sorry, I do like thunderstorms and that was a nice thunder rumble. Yeah. Well, that came through. <laughs> that came through. On the <laughs> um, so it is frustrating for me, um, especially when you consider that when you do a pre-order, if the manuscript is not delivered on time, it actually stops you from being able to it actually puts a ban on you doing pre-order books in the future mm -hmm. for a certain period of time. So there is a amount of pressure, but I know that with the nine books, I want them. I need to keep that consistency. I need to keep that because the three month period is the first month, the ones that are really ready and eager to read it, they're going to be there. They're going to be reading it. And then you've got that month in between where they're just processing what they've read. And then they've got the month where they're looking forward to the next one. And then you've got the other readers that are just coming across it. And then they'll probably, probably buy, you know, a couple of the books at the same time. They're probably slower readers. Um, most of my books, though, when people sit down and read them, they do tend to read them in a few days. So it's very rare that they take longer than that. It is an easy book to read as it's written. It is a hard book to read as it is delivered through message. That I can attest to. Your writing style is fantastic and is entertaining. Thank and if you if you haven't picked up the books yet, uh, we strongly suggest heading out there and grabbing Moana. Layla will be available more than likely by the time that this is released. It is it's a it's it's a hard read, but it's a great read. Your talent shines mm. through. The message sticks. That's for mm. sure. My question to you on that note is: is how easy 
was it to give Layla and the others in the series a new ethnicity and background uh, to protect their identities? And, and why, I don't know, why, why, why a Taurus Strait Islander? Um, Layla is from uh, an archipelago of islands. Um, and I wanted to bring that island vibe, but when you look at art that needs to be celebrated, one of the things that when I was sailing around the, the north end of um, Australia that really struck me was the art of the indigenous community. I mean, I went to a gallery and I just stood there and I was absolutely hypnotized and I could feel the depths of the journeys um, that the artists portrayed through these lines and these dots and the the natural elements of life around them and it's an art form that's not celebrated very much around the world and so choosing the identities I, I wanted to make sure that there were a lot of similarities but also the cultural aspects so for example if it was a family aspect um, or the way in which families operated or if there was similar racial issues or if there were similar um, like culture and social problems. Um, so in that regard, it did bring in a lot of the work that I've done over the last 22 years on cultural diversity um, and regional regeneration. And it was very easy in some ways to pick the, um, the nationalities. Like for example, when you've got social, you, that's set in New Zealand where the guy, I mean, and that was, looking at the the breakdown in social services but because it was the commonwealth and the the real person they are part of the commonwealth as well so it was looking at the the similarities um on multiple levels and writing from that space it's heavy that's that's a heavy one are are you still in touch with with uh, with moana or layla the, you know, the real people that were behind these characters um a few of them not all yeah. of them. There are some of them that I can't be. No one can be, mm -hmm. which is really sad. So it'll be in so some of the books are in memory of them. Um, others, they come and go. We're all doing our thing. Um, so yeah, some of them I am. There's a there's a morose tone there, uh, a sadness to it. Uh, but the interesting thing is that you know their story, even though the ones that have passed, their story does live on through this mm. series and through those that read it. And I, I don't know, it's, it's interesting. It's almost like something that, that can be celebrated because uh, of the greatness that gets shared, not to mention the sorrow that, that, gets, that lessons come from. And that, mm -hmm. you know, to me, that's, that's a big deal. In, uh, in Layla's situation, uh, she was separated from her siblings. How common is this? And is, is it right to separate family members? Just your opinion. Is it right to separate family members who've been through such trauma? Do you think... Do you think that everyone should be, you know, more united on that front? Or, you know, what is your take on that? Um, I guess it really depends on the aspect of healing that each sibling has to go through. Um, when I see families that are split up just because certain foster families or adoptive families can't take them, um, I think that that's wrong. I think that they, they should be kept together. Um, if so, for example, there's been an abusive sibling um, to one of their 
if there's been a situation where the, one of the siblings has been abusive to another, um, I think that it's right that they be separated, uh, whether it's for a period of time or in entirety. But I think in general, what we're seeing around the world is that families are being split up because there's just not enough families that are going to take um, two or more uh, siblings together. And so just to make it convenient for the social services, you have one sibling go one place and another one go another. Um, as for the, um, the separating from families, when you consider that you've got eight families, eight children, um a day taken off their parents in the uk that's just in the uk alone that's a very alarming figure and that troubles me on a very deep level on a personal note uh based on what we were just talking about there do you think that child services is there to protect the kids or possibly to protect the interest of a higher entity. When you say that many kids are separated from their families, it sounds to me as though it's orchestrated. Mm. I think part of it absolutely is. And that that's, you know, I mean, that's a conspiracy side of things, you know, that people <laughs> that people don't necessarily think about or want to talk about. Uh, but it is, it's a big deal. It's a very big deal. Child services takes kids from people that shouldn't have their kids taken from them and the kids are never seen again. Mm -hmm. So it's a peculiar statement. It's a peculiar state. Now back to the situation, you know, your perspective as well. When you said the kids, the state, they can't place the kids, you know, so in the same houses, what do you think? And, and with, with regards to today's day and age, and this is like, you know, compared to the seventies, eighties, whatever, you know, there are cell phones, there is Facebook, there are ways to connect with somebody. If you want to be found, you can be found. Do you think that, that even though family members get separated, good loving siblings get separated, that, that it's easier for them to stay together. And when they're 18, reunite, reconnect, what do you, what, what are your, is there, I don't know how I feel about that. I think that, I think that it would be, it would be nice in a perfect world to think that these kids will get back together with their siblings. If the parents are out of the picture, you know, what have you, what's your take on that? And do you have any experience with that? Um, my take on it is I'm glad that there are things like social media that can actually help track down uh, where people who want to be found can make it known that they want to be found so that if other siblings want to find them, they can be. I think that um, from the work that I've done in community groups, whether it be with the, um, I mean, there's one group that I worked with um, where the brother and sister, they were separated from their family because they, you know, one, the son was being sent out to sell drugs and the, the young girl was being sent out to sell her body. Um, absolutely that they should have been protected but from their parents but on the other hand the parents behavior was learned behavior from their parents which was learned behavior from their parents and it's like how far back do we go here and what can we do 
to raise awareness of this. And this is one of the reasons why Layla's story is so pertinent um, because we're also, we're looking at all of these aspects um, and in Pandora that's about to follow up with Layla, this is something else that we're going to, I mean, this really Pandora is going to be a box that is truly well and totally blown to pieces. Mm. Um, but with the age of social media, if you want to be found, you can be found. If you don't want to be found, you will not be found. That's right. That is very true. And, and like you had said, you know, the, the, this was learned behavior from their parents. Uh, and that's, that's a huge running theme. That is why that's important is because every single perpetrator, for the most part, of a violent crime or of, or of anything isn't out to be violent. They're just out yeah. repeating what they've done. So you could say that at, at every, every perpetrator was at one point a victim. Mm-hmm. So as much as you don't want to side with the victims, the television has made it seem like there are people that are joyously out being, you know, crazy slashers, stabby, stabby, just ridiculous stuff. But for the most part, every single person is suffering through something. Mm. There isn't much of a divide between they're really victim and, and aggressor. Two sides of the same coin. Yes. Yes. And then people will say, you know, how, like, this is controversial. There are people right now that are probably yelling at their, at their, uh, personal podcast choice, but there it's, it's, it's the God's honest truth, right? I don't want to, if I'm, if I'm an aggressor, like being aggressive towards somebody, or if I, if I've, if I've committed a crime and there was a victim, there's a high likelihood. Well, there's, there's almost a 99% likelihood that I myself am a victim of a crime, but that that person will then go on to commit a crime. And it, when you say it's like two, two sides of the same coin, you're like, well, how does that person, you know, how does the person that was, the crime was committed against, how do they learn from this? And this is where it gets tricky because the person that the crime was committed against had been living a life that put him in a position that could have been somewhere, right? This is where, mm. this is, this is where the world will say, you're not supposed to victim blame. But if you're, for example, constantly out, constantly getting shit faced at the bars, you're, you're leading a highly dangerous life. And not one that we should feel danger from, but you're putting yourself in a position where you have lessons to learn in life, no matter what they are. Whether it's if you're dancing on the bar, you fall off and you break your foot, maybe you'll stop dancing on the bar. If you're associating with the wrong people, maybe you'll start associating with better people. If you're associating with a different mentality or, per- or, or, or incorrect mindset towards certain things, or know that you can do better than you're doing right now, whatever it is, this universe will hand you a reason to step up. Mm-hmm. Um, but the world, even as I say these, even if it's, even as I put these words out, I know there are people going, this man's victim blaming, but nobody's, I'm not victim blaming anybody. I'm saying every single person has their lessons to learn. I'm saying I've, I've lived a crazy life. You've lived a crazy life, right? <laughs> and as you sit here now and everything is in the past and you've got your entire future ahead of you, there's this, this abundant thought that, you know, I was a victim of this. These terrible things happened to me. And there are people out there that would be like, I can't get past this. And then there are people out there that this instance will empower me. And you, mm. have, you have the ability to choose. You do. So, you know, I mean, your story, sorry, I'm, I'm a, I want to say I'm rambling, but I'm not. I'm totally on point with all of this. But it's, you know, to me, these are the things that are just, just phenomenal things to speak about. Things that people don't want to talk about. And, mm. and, and the mentality that the world is coddling everybody and, and the coddle is getting worse. You know, 
the coddle is getting worse. Everybody's hugging everybody. Everybody's super offended by everything. You're not allowed to have an opinion. And it's changing the way people communicate. They're audibly afraid to say certain things or have certain opinions or open certain dialogues because mm -hmm. they don't want to offend. They don't want to, they don't want to create some sort of tension, some sort of alternate reality. They better not enter my space then. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you don't have a problem offending. I like that. You, and it's not that you're, it's not about offending. Like if, what's it, what's I don't that choose to, I don't choose to offend people, but I'm not going to filter yeah. who I am and the stuff I've learned or experienced, because if it can help me become a better person, then surely me sharing is going to help somebody else become a better person. Now, when people read Layla, um, they're going to probably get one of the biggest wake up calls that they've ever had. And I remember when I, I had some feedback on Moana, uh, and one of the, the testimonials that I got, um, was pretty much along the, the lines of, um, if Layla is sorry, if Moana can, um, if Moana can get through what she's got through, then there is, um, I can't remember what it was now. I'm just looking through my phone because I've got it downloaded. But basically, if I, if Moana could get through what she went through and still come out smiling and still come out on top, then anybody can get through anything. Um, and this is one of the things, it's like all the stuff that's happened, what most people would say to me, I actually see it that it's happened for me, for me to grow stronger. Now we were chatting before we started this and we were talking about, you know, the fact that, you know, my looking at certain aspects of business and how certain things keep happening where people can't keep up with me. Mm -hmm. Well, that's something for me to learn. Stop calling in the same kind of people and call in a different level of person, maybe a higher price um, investment point. Um, but everything that offends somebody, that is a, that's an indication. Okay, well, why am I offended by this? Why is it that what that person is doing or how that person is living their life, why does that annoy me? Why does that upset me? And I do find that one of the things that has frustrated me over the years is everyone goes, oh, but it's okay for you. You're strong. You know, we have to, you, and I'm just like, yeah, because I chose to be. doesn't mean that I'm insensitive. It doesn't mean to say that I'm not empathetic, but it just means that I'm not choosing to be a victim. I'm not choosing to be delicate all the time. I can be very delicate. I can be very vulnerable. Um, and, you know, who doesn't like a hug every now and then? I mean, uh, you know. But if we have to keep, if all of those who have done the work and have chosen to be strong have to keep softening for the people who refuse to strengthen and refuse to toughen up, because the world is not a delicate place. And those of us who choose to not roll with the punches and grow stronger each and every experience, we're actually doing ourselves and our future generations a disservice. And it's we're weakening. Almost like, You're right. We're sorry to cut you off. There. We we're are. weakening. We're, by generation by generation, human by human, we're getting weaker and weaker if we're afraid to talk about the things that, that they're afraid to talk about. And I think for you, for your personality, I think that you should be pushing more. And, you know, if anyone got offended by, you know, you saying I should, I should offer a higher price point, 
people don't value anything other than the almighty dollar, right? So money, when you get to a certain point or when you get to a certain level of creativity, you realize that money has nothing to do with anything other than attracting, you know, money is basically the result of a job well done. So what you earn is yours. What you pay out is, is, is indicative of the person that you're looking for. And there are so many people out there that still lock in with the money, with the finance. Mm. So yes, offer them more or, or enter into a realm where somebody values money a little bit more. And those that earn more money value it more, right? For the most part. So, mm. you know, now anyone can say, and everybody seems to have an argument. If you say one thing, there's somebody out there going, well, bah, 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 right? Well, here's the thing. You know, if you've got a true voice and if you've got something true to say, everyone's going to step on you. Everyone, not everyone's going to step on you, but a lot of people, you're going to get just as much negativity as you are positivity. The world will open up in that sense. They will come from all directions. Um, when you're in a topic like this, like you're, you're, you're in this book and Layla, you're, you're wading through intense waters. Mm. So you're going to get, you know, you're going to get a lot of thank you, a lot of praise from people that are like, I experienced this. And then you're going to get a lot of people that, you know, that were like, you shouldn't share these stories. You should, you know, what, what does this have to do with anything? There are holes in this, this, that, and the other thing, right? One thing I've found is look, the more you push your narrative or your storyline or your belief, the more you push a truth, the more the universe itself pushes back. So any point or, or piece that anyone could say could easily be counteracted, but often by somebody who's not on the same level as you, which brings me to another point. Never take financial or style advice from somebody with shitty shoes. So, <laughs> and there are a lot of shitty shoes out there. <laughs> that's right. So when it comes to anyone listening to this that has something to say, as long as you speak from a position of kindness, if you speak from a position of, of clarity, of, of, of integrity, then you can't be taken down a peg. If you're loudly barking for the sake of being an asshole, you can be taken down a peg. But for the most part, you'll find that people, people are so afraid to be true to themselves. They don't even know who they are. And the mm. arguments that they bring up tend to simply be rhetoric. Yeah. Whatever was put into their head. We trailed off there, but we almost, we trailed right back into where we were going. Uh, and, and what I wanted to ask you about Layla, Layla's mother was uh, disowned due mm. to her uh, getting pregnant, but mm. after a rape. Mm. And then she became a prostitute simply to survive. Mm -hmm. What are the social implications of this, both short and long term, in the family unit, in society, in, in perception? What's your take on that? Well, one of the things that I find, uh, I of all the different cultures that I've worked with and studied, one of the things that has always baffled me is the protection of the family name and the choices that they make in order to honor that and how, which is worse that a young girl saying this guy raped me, I'm pregnant with his child or having and actually causing problems for the family because this person was an upstanding member of the community or a family friend or actually disowning your daughter i i have never been able to get my head around that um i don't think i ever want to because i think that you know 
I don't think I can do. And if I if I ever got to the point of getting my head around it, would that make me of the same kind of person? And I think that's probably why a lot of people, we when we hear things like that, we can't understand it because we're not that way inclined. But when you've got a family disowning their own daughter after such a traumatic event, and then you've got her being pregnant and the only way that she can survive is to turn tricks. Um, that then sets up the following generation. Now with Layla's mother, she, um, she took drugs to numb the pain of not only being raped, but also being disowned, which made her a very, very vulnerable person. So becoming a prostitute, it's almost like saying, well, I might as well earn money from this because they're just going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And society accepts this, but it, they're not willing to accept truths that challenge them, but they're willing to accept things like this. And for me, I'm like, well, hang on a second. If you're not willing to accept this, why are you willing to accept this? And then they don't know what to do with it because someone has shown them the immorality and possibly the stupidity or the ignorance in their own thinking. And then you're the one that gets attacked, like you're saying, you know, and you're just like, hang on a second. <laughs> well, that's, that's it. Like society as a whole, this goes back to victim and aggressor, mm. right? So she's now, if you look at it this way, there could be a ton of society that would condemn her for being a prostitute. Mm. And but why is she? Right. So everyone's like, now look, she's, now she's making her child a victim, right? But now imagine you said this poor girl was raped and, and she was forced to keep the child and her family disowned her. You would be like, oh, that poor girl, right? Mm. And, and then in the same breath, you say this chick over here is a prostitute and she's got a child and her child sees this. Well, how, how terrible of a mother, right? All of these people in all of society are more than willing to point the finger either mm. for or against, you know, and like, oh, let's all, let's all praise her for being a victim or let's all shun her for being a prostitute, mm. right? The world, again, the world wants to run its mouth. And these are the lessons, the lessons for us to learn, for us to observe. You can't take anyone's opinion. You cannot take anyone's opinion to heart. Never, ever listen to anyone's opinion that you specifically wouldn't go to for advice. Mm -hmm. So the criticism means nothing. Their praise means nothing because they have nothing. They don't know the story. So this is the one woman that we were talking about, the victim and the aggressor in the same thing. Now, the crazy thing is we live in a world too where like, you know, what do you do? You know, you, we can't even fathom, you know, what would happen. I think about my life. I think about, you know, um, what do you do if, 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 if somebody gets raped and then there is a child, you know, that person that's been raped now, do they have, they have to, they have to contemplate abortion they have to mm -hmm. contemplate it at one point but you know my question to you is this is a really touchy one this is gonna this is gonna make some of the audience cringe but do you do you take the heinous crime of rape and then add murder to it you know what do you do in that situation and you as a woman um would be i don't want to say more qualified to answer that situation but i you know, I don't know. I couldn't put myself in that spot with regards to the abortion, that sort of thing. But it's, it's a tough one because, because you'll hear the world will argue 
that it's not a real baby until it comes out or whatever, you know, uh, mm-hmm. or it's not this or it's not that. Everybody's got an opinion. And, and my opinion is, it, in my opinion is it's murder. You know, you can't throw your baby out of a moving car. Therefore, you can't throw it out of your body. Um, and that's just kind of my two cents on it. And, and you know, if I offended anybody by, by stating my opinion that I stand firmly behind, there it is. <laughs> but what's your take on that? I think we're sitting in the same car, Adam. I believe that from the moment that um, baby is conceived, baby, you know, cells are dividing. That is life there within itself. You know, sperm meets egg. That is a union. That is life coming together from that point on. Uh, Whether it's, you know, the sperm and the egg in a Petri dish because it's not safe for, you know, the woman and she needs to have a surrogate. But for me, you know, it is something that whether she, the woman contemplates or the girl contemplates for a split second, um, just that thought passing through her head, am I going to abort this? Absolutely not. Or am I going to abort my baby? I don't know yet. Or I need to have an abortion. You, you, like you say, you've got someone who is a victim of a crime, then shunned by family, society, and then being having to make that choice of can I look at this child and raise this child every single day knowing what the father did and if I do keep this child how do I raise that child to think about their father when the questions come of where's my daddy what does the mother tell you know all of these things would need to be considered it would take a huge amount of strength i believe for any woman to continue to continue with the pregnancy um knowing what had happened but i also think that through that strength the amount of growth that that woman would go through the amount of forgiveness um and love that that woman could channel i think that would be a very powerful gift to both herself her child and to society but then let's just say the the idea that abortion was just not something they could go through how would they then treat that child you know would they be um treated unfairly would they be dismissed or abused or the object of anger or the point of self-hatred there are so many things to consider but we can't blame the child the child did not you know i mean we could say that children choose their parents um and if we believe that then there is a there is a reason why that child chose to have a rapist as a father and there's a learning in that for that, everybody. What you're talking about there is uh, soul contracts. You know, we mm. we make these decisions before we before we you know jump jump down. Um, when you start getting into more existential stuff, when you start getting into more spirituality towards it, then yeah, you know, every single thing happens to teach us more about ourselves. 
Absolutely. Uh, and when, you know, we, we, we're living in a world right now, it's a topsy-turvy world where we're supposed to take care of other people first. You have now become my responsibility with regards to my mask, right? So, and I don't want to make this topical, so I won't. But in a world that makes that the norm, then you have an issue with other things. Everything, everything. Yes. Not just other things, absolutely everything. When I am now, when you, when you have relinquished your responsibility, in other words, if we, if we just stick with the mask thing, and this series, will, this series will stand the test of time, so hopefully there will come a time where people listen to this and don't know what I'm talking about. But <laughs> when you stick with the mask theory that your mask doesn't work unless, or my mask doesn't work unless you're wearing one, or you're, you know, you're killing old people in, in retirement homes by not wearing a mask in Walmart where the person can stand on their self-righteous soapbox and attack you. And the only people that are voicing their opinions in this situation are people that have nothing to like nothing going in their lives. These are the people that are virtue signaling this whole campaign. Again, this is just my personal opinion. This is not the opinions of the Layla series, the Moana series, the Sacral series. This is just my opinion. But what I'm saying with this is when you, when you go down that rabbit hole, however you want to look at it, you know, everyone has the thing to say, well, what about this person? What about that perspective? And it's very rare that somebody can sit back and say, my perspective isn't that of the victim or the aggressor. My perspective is that of the observer of the victim and the aggressor, which means as a third party, I don't even have the ability to properly interject any thought or derivative of an action towards either one of them. The idea being that when, when, when you're responsible for your health and for your choices and for your actions, that's the way it is, right? Now, this parlays into the husband, or not the, sorry, not the husband, the rapist. The rapist meets Layla. Layla has the child. There are three entities involved here. Layla now has to deal with the idea of the rape. And the child, by the way. Pardon me? Layla is the child. Right, right. Sorry, my bad. So I've, I'm, 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 I'm mixing metaphors and I've got my name or, or I've got the, the idea all twisted. So the mother has to deal with, with the, the act that took place and has to deal with the child. Mm. And Layla has to deal with living life and then being handed information mm. and then trying to figure out, you know, where this goes. So when, when you have the trickle down, when you have the idea of, one action from a year ago or, you know, not a year ago, sorry, one action from say 10 years ago trickles down, information gets out and more things parlay in. How do you, how do you as a child and as a mother and as a grandmother in this scenario too, how do you view the whole thing? And at what point do you remove yourself from all actions? I mean, it's a loaded question. I'm not looking for any one specific answer. I just, I'm, I'm hoping that the audience can, can follow along with my whimsy on this one, to say the least. Um, I don't know if I if I can pull it back in. If I um, let me rein it back in here, unless you wanted to interject on any of that. No, you're just gonna <laughs> smile at me. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> just gonna giggle at you. Right. No, I like it when you do this because why don't you do this? It's like the audience then gets to choose. And when you were talking then about relinquishing our responsibilities, 
Um, for those of the listeners uh, that have been following my journey, they will know I'm doing a PhD in international law and social justice. And one of the things we've just learned this last time, or we've been studying, is ethics and what makes a moral choice. Um, and one of the things that came up was driverless cars. I mean, <laughs> relinquishing your responsibility to observe, to pay attention and to drive a, if you want to think about it in this way, a weapon almost, you're giving the weapon its own consciousness, which can be infiltrated by any computer virus which can be distorted by an EMP. And you just got to sit there and allow it to happen. And it also brought to my mind, there's a movie called Wally, excuse me, and uh, Wally, um, and you had Eve and she came down and then you go back up to this spaceship and what you're seeing on this spaceship is happening. I was like, oh my god people have just completely relinquished control of what they're eating what they're thinking what they're doing they're sat in these motorized chairs that just move around they're growing bigger and bigger and bigger and they don't even have to think about what time of the day it is they don't even have to think about what they're going to eat it just pops up there in front of them and as much of a ridiculous idea of that is that movie was aimed at children as a normal way of life of what is going to be happening in the future. So it's almost like, well, if that's going to happen, I might as well just give up now. Or if this is going to happen, or this is my lot, or this is my life, my parents were on the dole, or my parents were entrepreneurs, or my parents were lawyers, or my parents were doctors, well, this is just the way my life is going to be. All my parents went to university, so therefore I must go to university. So regardless of how much responsibility we give over, the fact that we do not take responsibility, like some of the people that um, I've met on my travels, the people that expect their mother to clean up after them or other people to clean up after them, pick up after yourself. No one is here to give you, um, no one here, I just, I find it so disrespectful, not only to yourself, but to your parents. Um, I, it's just something that my boys have, done their own laundry and their own ironing and their own cooking of meals since they were like four and five years old. Because let's just say their dad was away and I was sick. Who's going to provide for them when my family lived three hours away? How are they going to know how to cook more than an omelette? Responsibility starts from a very young age and it's down to us to make sure that we maintain our own responsibility because if we can't do that, we've lost a huge part of our humanity. I have a very strong sister and I laughed the last time I was at the house, my niece, six years old says, mommy milk. <laughs> and My sister jumped. She just went and got the milk. I said, she's six years old. If she can make demands, she can pour glass. <laughs> mm, absolutely. And I said, what are you doing? What are you doing allowing your daughter to push you around? She's like, oh, well, kids just like to have things done for them. I'm like, oh, my God. You are not the same sister. You know, time, time changes <laughs> us all. I, I mean, could have a very nice conversation with your sister. <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm sure you would. She, uh, she, my sister is a, my sister is a saint. She, you know, she was, she was the bull in the China shop and she is, is the one, you know, uh, a beautiful girl, but will, 
literally drive over you in a car if she had to, like if you were in her way. And, and it's interesting to see how she's become a mother. It's interesting to see how life has offered itself to my sister in, in the fact that she's now raising a young woman. You know, it's mm. interesting. It's interesting to be a part and privy to all of these things. And yeah, we can all have our opinions on, on stuff. And I a hundred percent am on the same page as you where, you know, if your boys at five or six or seven years old want a sandwich, make a sandwich. You want something to eat, get it yourself. Right. Mm. And, you know, at what point, like, you know, elephants are dropped out of their mothers and, and join the herd post haste. <laughs> Come with, we're going, see ya. You know, so wh- why does it take a, a child 40 years <laughs> to get on their feet? In North America? <laughs> That's and, the thing. It's like here in Brazil, I'm learning that you've never cooked a meal until you were 20. What the heck were you doing on Mother's Day all your life? Yeah. So did you not make your mother a, like breakfast in bed on her birthday? What is wrong with you? <laughs> Society is, is <laughs> it's just different, right? It's different everywhere. We don't know. We don't know. And that's, that's the bottom line. We don't know. So I don't know. Yeah, where I'm staying, it, you know, it attracts the upper middle classes. But again, this is the thing, like you were mentioning, like the work that I'm doing, like my other series of books, The Mermaid's Guide, there's a book in there on culture and leadership and it comes down to the fact that the responsibility we take, we're not here to raise children. We're here to raise adults. Mm-hmm. And I think that distinction has been lost, but also um, I'm looking at the different cultural aspects, you know, having lived in the Arab world and um, you know, the being raised in the Commonwealth and traveled to over 40 countries now observing human behavior and human nature and how different societies and class systems operate. And you just think, oh my God, it was so much the same. But these women and men that do not teach their children responsibility and the basic of life skills, we're setting them up to fail. And if, um, I mean, my sister is very similar to your sister by the sounds of things, you know, don't ever cross her because, you know, (laughs) as they say in the jungle room, stab wound massive. Um, But if I, I, and I remember saying to my sister, if you keep doing everything for your daughters, you are teaching them that they are no more than a slave to somebody else. You are teaching them that they are the ones that have to stop whatever it is that they are doing to provide for others. And whether that is uh, friends and your people, you're teaching them to become people pleasers. And that is not healthy in any kind of relationship whether it is in a romantic one a uh, a parental uh, friendship one or whether a business relationship codependency um, and martyring is just not healthy on any level uh, it's, it's not you know and even you know you can even take the flip side of that and you could you could teach that you could be teaching a child not that you know, your mother is weak, but that you yourself don't have the ability to attain mm. the things that you want. Mm. So anyway, without, without, if you don't put your foot down towards your child, do this, make, make them angry at you, whatever it is. Oh yeah. They won't understand that they are capable <laughs> of doing things. Yeah. And, well, look at my boys. They fly around the world by themselves. They started at the age of 12. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, and they're only nine right now too. It's actually borderline parent abuse, but you know, it's good. It's good. <laughs> Uh, I don't think Khaled will be happy that you said he's nine. <laughs> he's about to be 18. And I'm like, what? Uh-oh. How did that happen? Like I was still stuffing jump 
pillows at my jumper yesterday, pretending to be pregnant with you, and now here you are about to turn 18. 18's a fun, a fun age for a boy. Yeah. Uh, when, when you're filled with respect, I think that's the one thing. And a lot of us go through stuff. I mean, in my life, I had, I can, I can attest to this one. I had zero respect because it was never shown to me. So I didn't respect anyone. I didn't even respect myself. And that's where it starts. This is back in my youth, throughout my late teens and early 20s. Um, it was an interesting transition. Now, when we talk about this, and if we're, we're sort of parlaying these instances, it's my lack of respect that taught me grandiose respect now. I respect your time. I respect your dollar. I respect every single thing about the essence that is you. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I don't waste my time with other people, right? I don't waste my time with people that don't have the respect for themselves. And then you'll hear some people say things like, well, how do you pick and choose who has my, who, what makes you God? Me. I am the one common denominator in my entire life. I make me Absolutely. God. No matter what my upbringing is, I could sit here and tell you that my upbringing was absolute garbage and I wouldn't be lying. But without it being that garbage, I wouldn't be the man I am today. And I am very proud of who I am today. And I'm very proud of where I'm going and what I'm doing. I say this not as a boast for myself. I say this as a boast for Layla, for the, for the, for the people that came to be who they are, why they are. There's a statement that says, we as children attempt our best to grow into the person that would have saved our parents. And that is a fascinating fact that you can look at inside your own shoes, inside your children's shoes, inside your mother's shoes. That's who they tried to become. That's who you tried to become. And that's who your kids are emulating right now. If you showed any of your weaknesses and every last one of us has issue with who we were at a certain age, because none of us are willing to really focus on the fact that it took us being piles of shit to become better people. It took us living through hell to understand that we could do it a different way. It took us being very mean to certain people to understand that that is the wrong way to do things. So every single one of our mistakes has taught us to be great. When it comes to Layla, understanding how she came to be would force her to possibly save the world. And there's no good or bad reasoning for literally anything. It is merely what has happened. And now we react to it. I want to tie this back and I want to keep going with Layla. There's so much more I want to ask you about her. And, and it, to me, it's just, it's just a fascinating tale. What we're talking about is, is amazing too, because we are tying in real world with the, the book that's coming out. We're tying real world in with right now. We're talking about masks. We're talking about, we're talking about, we literally, ladies and gentlemen, you don't know this, but you're about to find out. Dawn and I are talking about the little girl that was just yelling at her mother before we went live. <laughs> that's who she was referring to. When people show lack of respect. She didn't think I was going to bring that up, but I did. And little girl, if you're listening to this, just remember you did that. Yeah. So, and I might not have been able to raise my eyebrow properly, but I could send you the emoji. <laughs> <laughs> so in Layla's case, she used art therapy to heal. How mm. effective uh, is art therapy uh, as a healing, uh, as a healing modality? And, what do you think? I mean, because there's so many things that can be tied to all of our senses, sight, sense, uh, hearing, smell, touch. 
where do you think art therapy rests in with the world that we live in? Oh, you know, it's been researching this subject um, has been a really um, beautiful process. Um, and the way in which it's used and how it's used for the various different aspects of somebody's journey because whether it's somebody who has lost their ability to speak through trauma um, and so they use art to express what they're feeling or draw or whether it is something that allows people to have a solitude so that they can focus on the beauty or focus on the that they've had such a crazy upbringing or an experience that the actual time it takes to draw a line or to choose a color or to understand that the um what it is that they i mean last thing i heard there was over 40 million people going through the process of art therapy mm-hmm. that's a huge amount of people that are choosing art therapy would you say what you do is a form of art therapy, writing? I would say it's a creative therapy and it is an art form because I, I read a quote recently that um, I was like, yeah, I am painting a very colorful picture with black and white words. I like that. You know, we use words to paint a colorful picture and it's just black words on white paper. It's the imagination. Yeah. Do people know where the imagination is? How many times, ladies and gentlemen, have you been reading a book? And the words disappear inside your mind. You're dancing through the fields. Absolutely. You know, that and is this, carry on. I was going to say, and this is one of the things that, you know, when people tell me that I, you, years ago when I used to, um, people go, oh, you can't believe in Hinduism and that third eye thing. I close your eyes. And they're like, what? And I said, close your eyes. And so they close their eyes because I have that much influence. <laughs> and, and I would pow, tell them. Right in the kiss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and, then, <laughs> um, and then I would tell them a short story. I'm like, where did you see that? Like point to the part of your body where you saw that story and you felt that story. And they were like, oh, I saw it here and I felt it. I was like, okay, so that's your third eye move on, <laughs> get over it. That, you know, that is, and, and when you're looking, like I said, you know, the art therapy, it's like if, you're, if your world has been full of horror and you're painting things that are black and white and gray and red, um, and then you add another color in and you're actually with every brushstroke, you're taking yourself away from that and adding more color, adding more life, adding more joy. And again, it would depend on your culture because even when I taught English to the Egyptians when I lived out there, I asked them to imagine the landscape. And I think we mentioned this in the last episode with Moana. When you present an idea, can you tell me what you see when you see a yellow landscape? Well, they were like, they're Arabs. They're like thinking, well, there's no life at all. It's really dead. It's really empty. Um, and I'm thinking, what? Like, oilseed rape, tulips, daffodils, butterflies, insects. I'm thinking of it from a very Northern hemisphere. Uh, Well, maybe not Northern, well, I'm from the Northern hemisphere, but I know that Australians, they see the same thing I do when I mention the yellow landscape, but around the equator, desert countries, they're gonna think of deserts 
where there is no life, there are no insects, there are no flowers, but it's still a yellow landscape. And, and this is the thing with art, it allows you to explore without judgment. Is it weird that when you said picture a yellow landscape, all I pictured was gold bricks? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was entertaining when, I, when you're like, picture a yellow landscape, I'm like, gold. <laughs> I don't you've know why. Watching, you've been watching Money Heist. <laughs> yeah, no. I don't watch. That's too how much I TV. learned Spanish. That's how I learned Spanish. Money Heist. Yeah, that was my like, That was my um, because I was in lockdown. You know, I can't and like the and this is the thing. Okay, going back to this whole mask isolation lockdown thing, people are just using it as an excuse. How can you stop online courses? just because of COVID. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> it's online. <laughs> Does my microphone transmit it down the wire into my laptop through the cables of Wi-Fi? Ah. Anyway. I've seen some businesses try to perpetuate it in the meetings. They just want to normalize it. So wear your mask when you're on your Zoom call. Be like me wearing a mask right now. It's yeah, dumb. I, I, I would have uh, gone, Adam, take your mask off. That's right. I would hope. You know, I'm sitting here with a mask on, rebreathing. Nothing else. Totally naked, wearing a mask. That's how I do my interviews now. You know, I, and I've often thought of that because like mask is mandatory, right? And and if you can't have a laugh with certain things, and again, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about a very touchy subject. So yes, you're going to hear us interject humor. That is just who we are. That this naked in a mask, sure. You want me to wear a mask? It's all you're getting. It's going to be awkward for everybody. <laughs> You know, I'd be kind enough to wear two masks, one on my mouth and one on my... Anyway, so... <laughs> I thought you were going to say an eye mask there. I was like, I have we... All right, strange I implication think... there. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know. But again, it's like, <laughs> there's this, you know, even with Layla and Moana, the, the humor that went back and forth, you know, as Layla was sharing her story and the things that she laughed about, people would actually say, you know, this is really dismissive. You're not taking it seriously. Or how can you laugh about things like that? But again, going through the art therapy thing, she learned not to judge her situation. She learned not to hold too much weight to it and just purging all of those emotions and locking herself away until she'd painted, until she'd drawn. And, and, and this is the thing is that when you are looking at art therapy reports and talking to art therapists that you know they're saying that you'll have the child that everyone thinks is really damaged that's doing all the talking doing all the crying but it's the quiet one in the corner that's either building with the bricks or playing with the dolls and how they're playing with the dolls or the one that sat there with the crayons drawing the pictures how they're holding the crayon how they're, what they're drawing, how focused they are when they're drawing the lines. You know, are they worried they're going to make a mistake? What is that telling you? Are they so afraid to draw a line wrong on the page? And where has that fear come from? And also when you've actually moved through that, do you then go on to sell your art? And this is something that Layla came up with. You know, she's a, she's a global artist. She commands a huge amount of money for one of her paintings. Um, again, one of the reasons why she needed a different identity. But when you understand the choices that she made and the home that she created, 
and the visions that she was allowed to come up with when she was going through these art classes and this art therapy and understanding the the, the culture and the influences around her and why her paintings were a certain way and then going well actually I don't want my paintings to be this way anymore I want them to be of this and actually using art as a safe space to explore it's like how can you not think that that's such a beautiful thing to do how can you not think that that's such a beautiful transition for anybody to go through that you know what, go out and look at the landscape, go out and experience nature or play with this colour, use it as your stepping stone to your new comfort zone, to a new vision of yourself, to a new vision of your life. And when I was sat listening to Layla's story, you, you kind of, oh, I mean, I've, I've started to use art a lot more in my life. Um, when I get frustrated, it's like, I'm like a child, I'm just gonna color, or I'll just get sit in front of my keyboard and I'll just start writing and do a Kermit. But um, <laughs> um, but yeah, for those of you who wanna know what doing a Kermit is, type Kermit yep. typing into the gift machine. Pop right into my head. You got, a, you got an instant chuckle out of me right away. That was funny. Um, <laughs> art therapy is huge. Art therapy is, is, you know, it's it's expressive. It, it is that sort of stuff. Because you're right. You know, you we can all point our fingers at who we think, you know, maybe the problem child is or, or what the problems might be. But that's all circumstantial. That's all based on our own life. Mm. It has nothing to do with the lives of the people, even if they're your own children. It has nothing to do with that. Only they can tell you that. And if they can't express that, they don't know. So art therapy will allow that to come out. A follow-up to that is you were talking about the conscious unconscious creation process. You know, mm. that when I pictured gold, <laughs> that was my conscious unconscious. It just tapped in, you know, when people see what they see. And I have no idea why I saw gold, maybe because of what's in my background. But I mean, that can't be, you know, that can't be it. I'm not a, I'm not a money hungry person. It was just a funny thing. When you said yellow landscape, I just pictured bricks and bricks of gold, Fort Knox gold. But that's the conscious unconscious. So maybe, you know, maybe, maybe something's coming. Who knows? But you mentioned this process in the book, something you yourself use with writing. You know, you tap into it, you flow, you come and you go from the conscious unconscious. Um, mm. It's, it's interesting. You, you even teach your clients on, yeah. on, on drifting through the conscious unconscious and getting it out and getting it down. Um, you got to elaborate a little bit on that. You got to talk a little bit more on, on, on how the mind can pass through this, how the mind can pick and choose what it wants from there and, and what the conscious unconscious is to you. Hmm. Um, do you like my loaded questions? Oh, do you know, I'm like, which should I answer first? <laughs> <laughs> um, we all do it. We, uh, and this is the thing that I, I like. It's not, nothing special to me or, um, and you know, maybe I undersell myself there or, or what have you. But when you are in just that state of just being, you know, I mean, some people might say it's a meditative state. But when you're not thinking about something, it's all the stuff that's going on. So if you, it's like, for example, 
when you're in a training course, if you're there making all the notes, you're not actually hearing what's going on, really. You're not paying attention. You're not being present in that moment of just receiving. And it's almost like reversing that so that you are in that space of receiving. You are in that, okay, what, and you're asking, what am I going to write here? What am I going to create here? And then just allowing whatever that is that comes up. Okay, that is, okay, so that's that. So what's next? And, and it's the questioning. But for some of us, we don't actually need to get to that point of asking because we can just shift ourselves into that state of heightened awareness. Some of us have skills, some of us have gifts. Um, and the gifts can help us hone our skills. But when I always ask my clients, before you sit down and write, I mean, most of my clients don't actually, the ones I work with don't actually drink or smoke or pollute their body um, with toxins. So that I tend to call in a lot of people whose channels are already open and their, their intuition is heightened. And it's about tapping into the intuition and allowing yourself to receive messages um, from different realms or from different levels of consciousness. If you've taken drugs like Steve Jobs, you know, great advocate for LSD. Whether people like that idea or not, we see a lot of entrepreneurs these days that have like a lot of the most successful entrepreneurs that came out of the back end of the 60s and the 70s where a lot of people were taking mind-altering drugs people are doing it now with ayahuasca but they're calling it herbal medicine um and it's about going to that next level of consciousness that next level of just receiving and allowing your mind to wander so that you can actually get all of that stuff out of it's like you're clearing stuff when you haven't got alcohol polluting your body and you haven't got cigarettes polluting your body, it's amazing. Or you haven't got processed food in your body. What you then can receive through your energetic fields is so powerful. And people are like, oh, but don't you miss alcohol? I was like, God, no. Not really. She hums and hums. Not really. Not really. Not when you think about what else I get. Like, I'd rather have these downloads and they're not just ideas, which a lot of people think, oh, no, that's just an idea. No, it's no, not. There's a, there's a massive, There is massive a massive difference. difference. Yeah. <laughs> it's yep. like, oh, my God, all those goosebumps. What the heck is happening to my body? Mm -hmm. It is like a full body experience, uh, which is really quite nice. And why would I choose to let go of that and choose alcohol where, one, I lose sleep, one, my intuition goes, and three, you're probably going to get hung over the next day. And all the sugar that's in alcohol, why would I do that? When, when did you I stop can... drinking? Oh, um, I, the first time around, I stopped drinking when I was around about 21 for 15 years. Then I lived through the Egyptian uprising and all I could smell was wine. And I was like, I need a drink. I need to drink wine. I had some wine and I was really ill for about three days. So I stopped drinking again. Then I started drinking when, again, when I got divorced, drank for about three years and then I stopped. So I've not had an alcoholic drink now for almost three years. Sounds like the people in the background are having some alcohol. I just got a round of applause for not drinking for three years. <laughs> That's what that was. I appreciate that. Woo! <laughs>
most of that will be edited out, ladies and gentlemen. If you do catch some of that after post, I do apologize. Uh, but we're going to do our best to get rid of most of these sounds. And honestly, it's been interesting to listen to the story because we're getting, you know, whenever Don pauses, uh, we're getting the birds in the background. And I hope that that doesn't get edited out when, you know, when we do the full story. Please don't, because that's a really important part of the Layla story. I am a huge fan of those birds in the background of you speaking. But it is, it, it, and when we were talking about the, the, the mental downloads and the, and the ideas being, being two different things, it's, it's so true. Your brain will download new information on a regular basis. And it's, it's not, it's it, the interesting thing about a download is it isn't new information. What it really is, is a different way to see the information you already have. Um, if you guys want to download an interesting download to anyone listening to this right now, this is referred to as a Mandela effect. Mm-hmm. When you, when you were growing up, ladies and gentlemen, North America and South America used to be directly on top of each other. They flowed. And now if you look at a world's map now, you will see that South America is below and to the right of North America. It is no longer directly below North America. And you're going to say, what the hell are you talking about? And then you're going to look at a map and you're going to go, oh my God. And then you're going to get the download. And that download will say, no, this is how it's always been. And that's going to be interesting because you're going to, you're going to actively be able to watch yourself do it. So you have now just been shown how to take a download, right? And when you witness yourself taking that download, that first download, that, that first time you actually watch it happen to your mind, you catch all of them. You catch all of them moving into the future. You see all of the downloads. You're like, that's different. And you catch a new, a new essence, mm-hmm. a new aura, a new idea, a new path, a new pattern. You see it. You see where you're going. And it's, it's a fancy. I almost, I mixed fancy and fantastic. It's a fanciastic way to do it. Then my brain just went <laughs> download for you. It, it, it's, it's an interesting, I don't know, man. It's just, it's just one of those things that, ah, it's just fascinating. And again, our lives are, are synonymous with, with our experiences. That's basically mm. what, you know, that's what we, that's what we create. That's all we can mm. create. We can only create the result of what we already know, but all we know is the result of what we've created. It's our lives are the most beautiful catch 22 in the entire world, which was a great book. Also, if you haven't read it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> now, but see, this is the thing. It's like when, um, the amount of times when I've just been sat writing and this was how Layla and I met, she observed me writing. Um, and one of the things that she asked me, which is one of the titles of the chapter is where do you go when you write? And the reason why she asked me that, uh, was because she goes to the same place or a similar realm when she paints. And there's a part of the story towards the end where we go into a lot more detail and it's just, oh, watching her go there was just Wow. I actually, it was almost, and this is the thing with Layla and I, our lives were, although my upbringing was very different, the parallels, it was like watching myself in a parallel universe. And I think that this is the thing that it's like, we meet people who are here to show us who we truly are, what we're truly capable of. And we can actually observe someone's life and say, oh my God, it's like we're kindred spirits. Well, maybe not kindred spirits. Maybe you are they are just living your life through 
if you've got that many similarities soul extension you go on to a very different conversation what you're referring to there is soul extension in other Mm. words in other words you are the same soul occupying multiple bodies for multiple absolutely while you're multiple realms yes that you know that's a theory that you know that is again you're right that is an entirely different podcast but that is you know that's what i love that stuff i live in that realm and that is you know that's that's probably why you've got me doing the hosting of this but it uh you know it it's a truth it's an absolute amazing truth you know and there are so many people with regards to the astral realm with regards to the soul sharing realm we're so limited as a human as a human species that you know we there are a million topics that you can talk about but you're trained only to speak of two or three of them but you're also mm. trained that within those two or three you can speak vehemently about as many broad spectrum things as you want, as long as you stick to those two or three topics. And if you expand upon any of those topics, or if you expand past those topics, then you're talking about taboo. Then you're talking about things you should not, you ought not speak about, right? Mm -hmm. So not only are you taught what you can talk about, you're told what you can't. And you're trained to make fun of people who think outside the box. Which brings me to my next question to you with regards to Layla and the situation is, why do you think we as a society and as a people have a prejudice or discrimination against those who choose prostitution? I mean, here's a really interesting thing. You know, if you need to survive, God gave you your body. Use it, right? Don't necessarily try not to, I don't know, like, like just do whatever you do. Like there's no difference between somebody who sells their body and somebody who sells their mind. It's, 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 a, it's your God-given talent. It's your natural gift. It's this, it's that. It's whatever you want to call it, right? We have, I remember, just in my timeline alone, not even like going back in the, in the ancient times, we're not talking about stones. We're talking about, basically, let's talk about from, two, from the year 2000, 2005. You know what? We could even go 2010. So from 2010 to 2020 right now, let's just go with this last decade. I know some girls who were down and out and who were beautiful and who decided that they were going to become webcam girls and webcam girls are girls inside their own house that are getting naked for money and people are tipping. And that's what a webcam girl is. And the world wanted to admonish them. You know, so many people, and there was the stigma. You're just a prostitute. You're this, you're that. When in all actuality, they are literally the COVID stripper right now. (laughs) (laughs) just to throw that out there right it's the you're at home it's the skype stripper you're just you're you're just at home and you're safe and there's nobody around and you you're not at risk of of anything you know you're doing the safest thing you possibly can to make the money because it's not your fault there are people that want to pay to see naked people now there was a massive stigma with that but flash forward to now and it's almost a rite of passage that you as a good looking female have an OnlyFans account. And an OnlyFans account is not a website, it's an app. Or maybe it's a website, I don't know. You just, you're naked on OnlyFans. You're not naked on something else. And the world is like, oh, you have an OnlyFans? That's cool, right? So the world itself has been tricked and trained to believe certain things at certain times. The most amazing thing is I do not believe that we have our own thoughts. I believe that we, our brains, much like a radio, tap into a frequency and it then becomes audible. 
My question again to you is why do you think society has a problem with prostitution? Okay. I'd like to address a couple of things before I, I answer that question, but I you went, knew that was happening. <laughs> I went big there, writing notes feverishly. Please interject. Tell me where we're going with this. Okay. How is the OnlyFans and the webcam girls any different to the Instagram girls who are twerking and, and doing ass and breast shots on Instagram and actually not getting paid? That's my last thing. They're doing. They're still putting their bodies out there in skimpy bikinis and want doing it for followers uh, rather than for money. So yes. my, that would my, be my quick <sighs> answer to that would be nipples and buttholes. <laughs> <laughs> that then would be my quick answer. <laughs> and then I'd like to uh, share that when I was working in Oxford Uni, also um, before you carry on with that thought. If you, as a listener, didn't laugh at nipples and buttholes, you have some lightening up to do. I'll just put that out there. <laughs> so as, as an, as but an that's Oxford none of our business, is it, Adam no, 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 it's not. No, shame on me. <laughs> um, but then um, when I was, I don't know, I wasn't an Oxford professor, not yet. Not yet. Dr. Dawn is on her way, so is Captain Dawn. But either way, that's that's another story for another time mm, um, <laughs> um, there was a guy who came into the office um, and said um, that he was doing a thesis on prostitution and he wanted to ask a few questions he goes what's your view on prostitutes I said we'll put it this way I've got more respect for a prostitute who is actually upfront and honest then these girls that I see here on a Friday and said, well, most nights of the week that go out to a club or to a bar and get a guy to buy them drinks because at least a prostitute is asking for the money directly rather than just chatting up a guy just to get drinks. Current, it's a different currency, but it's still sleeping with a guy for something you want. Mm -hmm. Is it not? And then they never see him again. It's like, okay, back to your place. And they're not saying leave money on the side. They're actually saying pick your shoes up on the way out. Or sorry, it doesn't come with breakfast. Or the guy is not there or she's not there when the other one wakes up. There's a running joke amongst men. And that is, you know, you don't pay a prostitute for sex. You pay her to leave. <laughs> <laughs> and and <So>. it's, <laughs> it's funny <laughs> that, you know, again, humor. You know, we all deal with it in our own way. Uh, I have no problem. I personally, when I, when I think about the prostitution, I have no problem with prostitution. And I agree with you on that note. Be upfront. Do whatever you want to do, but do it with integrity. If you want to sell your body and you can do it with integrity, then do it. Right? There's, there's, that's, it's that simple. Put up a website, sell your time, and meet with the person. And if you want to have sex with them, have sex with them. If you don't want to have sex with them, don't have sex with them. There's also a shame for hypersexualized women. So women that are always horny, that always want a piece, they exist. I'm familiar with a few of them. So if you could see her face, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, so the <laughs> she's now beat red and hiding. In the, oh, wait, she muted out. Anyway, uh, maybe I'll have to edit this out. So the, the funny thing about this is there's a shame that is involved in that. Right. But there, that shame comes from birth. I mean, you hear about like, 
you know, fathers talking about their sons and all of their conquests. But if a father talked to his daughter about you know that sort of thing, there would be this stigma involved. There always is this stigma. And I have to say, it's interesting now that that liberation is being essentially lifted. It's that, 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 that mentality and that mindset is being lifted. It's an interesting world where, you know, I'm not one to just in my life, I don't really approach humanity. I don't, I don't, I'm not one to overly interact with society that much anymore. I, I, I tend to enjoy my space. I tend to, well, especially now with the whole COVID six feet apart thing, but there are women now that's more often than not women will come up to you. And I think to myself, this is, it's about damn time because there are so many people afraid to, to, just be who they are for fear of what others will think. And honestly, if you're going to be that woman that is just going to go for it, and if you get shut down, move on. Great. Perfect. But don't ever not be who you are for fear. And also don't ever try to be somebody you're not for fear. So it, it, it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal time to be where we are, to, to, to understand that all these limitations and all this foolishness that's been put on humanity and all these ideologies, they've literally all been put in place to, to, to mess your brain up and to make you weak and insecure. And there are obviously some women listening to this right now who are strong going, I would never sell my body. Right. There are some, they women, don't know. They yeah. don't know. And, and that's okay. If you want to live in that world, if you want to live in that space, great. But if you are a woman who's listening to this and, and, and you do sell your body in any way, shape or form, and either you're ashamed of it or you hold pride in it. Know that what you're doing is what you need to do right now to learn the lessons you need to learn to become the person you're going to become. It's no skin off any man's ass to be on OnlyFans and to stand there and do the windmill. Men don't give a shit. Women shouldn't give a shit. Women should be able to do whatever they want to do, right? In North America, the weirdest thing in the world. Why, if we really think about it, since we're, since we're born, you can't, women can't show their breasts. You can't just be like men can be out working in the yard topless. No problem. No questions asked, but a woman can't. So that is the government. That is your regional, just because of where you were born, ladies and gentlemen, you're not allowed to take your shirt off. Right. And that to me is a peculiar rule. And that to me is, is, is a freedom that's taken, but that to me is also a structure that's put in place for a specific reason. If you think about it this way, you cannot walk into a gas station topless but you can walk into almost any gas station and buy a topless magazine. So can't give it away, but it's for sale. And that's all due to the society in which we live. These are all things. These are all stigmas that are put in place by someone that we have just naturally accepted. And I, uh, maybe I ran away with that one. I don't know if you've, you must have something to add to that, but I certainly ran away with it. Now, now go, Don, go ahead, go ahead, please, please carry on. Oh, which bit do I start with? I mean, the bit where you know, like, you know, as a woman, like, so, unless you really want to wear a bikini without wearing a bikini, then, you know, <laughs> go to the naked beach. Um, mm. But just wear a little bit more sunblock in certain areas. Right. <laughs> that could get a bit painful. Um, you know, and the whole connection, like the sharing of energies, um, you know, I... I've been single for a very long time. I don't want to, you know, I, I believe that, you know, for every person that we sleep with, we are sharing energies with every person that they have slept with. Um, 
and I'm not, you know, the amount of people that say to me, oh, you know, you're traveling around the world, you know, you could go have lots of fun. I'm like, I'm having loads of fun. Um, and then they like, you can tell they don't want to ask. Like, what, <laughs> what is she like, huh? You know, and I jokingly, I had a, a parcel arrive. Uh, the you can other, see it in their eyes too. You can see it in their you eyes. You can. And they, they're like, Meh. Yep. but you okay. know that that's them. That's them inside. <laughs> they're like, ah. And it's like I said to the guy on reception, I said, if it starts vibrating, don't get embarrassed. <laughs> and he just looked at me. He was like, is she like, really? Like, she's ordered one of them. <laughs> I, and you could, and, and then I was, and then the next day I said, has my, um, has my toy arrived yet? And he, you know, and I'm like, and I said, it might start barking. So, you know, and then he's, he's just completely gone with it. He's like, oh my God, I don't even know what to think of this woman anymore. So whether we're using our humor or whether we're, like you were saying, you know, if you're selling your body or you're selling your mind or, you know, intellectual property, or whether you are just a girl posting lots of pictures of yourself that's the same as everybody else, because like you say, there are no original ideas. The amount of people that get their, their drink, their alcoholic drink, uh, and they position it just so with the ocean in the background, how many of those pictures do you see on Instagram or not see because you don't follow that kind of thing? But just the other day when I was sat in the beach bar and um, I was obviously that's where I go because that's just such a cool place to be looking out the ocean and just hearing her and oh, just mm. <sighs> compose yourself, Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> the ocean's a very powerful place. Um, the amount of people I saw taking the exact same selfie, the exact same picture, I'm just like, oh my God, where's creativity gone? You know, why are there no original ideas anymore? And this is one of the things that Layla and I discussed, is that like, why, are, why is her story, what, why is the elements of her story why is it going to make a difference? And it's like, because of the way I tell it, because I will throw in a lot of stuff and my mind combined with her story and the rabbit holes I go down and the, the, the amount of stuff that I've learned from all these different countries is even like the concept of me having a virtual private network that when I'm researching something, if I'm in Canada and I switch my VPN to say Australia or to Egypt, or to Brazil or Argentina, and I search for the exact same thing, I will get a very different series of results. I will get, a, and you can see the political agendas that are in force and the bits that people want you to know, which bits the government want you to know and which bits they don't. They go, oh yeah, and it's really great. If you change your VPN, you get different Netflix. Why do you think that is? Even if you go and search for a song on YouTube and you're in a different country, it will say content not suitable for this country. So it stands to reason that people from all of these different cultures and all these different uh, social structures, they will have different views to prostitution. And I know that in the Middle East, there are lots of prostitutes and a lot of guys who, you know, they don't want to be nervous on their wedding night. They don't want to feel embarrassed by their bride that they don't know what they're doing in the bedroom. You know, so they will go to a prostitute. Prostitutes are some of the women who teach young men how to please a woman in the bedroom. You know, there is that phrase, you know, you can be a lady in the dining room and a slut in the bedroom. There's nothing wrong with that. 
Wasn't it a lady in the streets and a freak in the sheets? <laughs> I've not heard that one. <laughs> oh, that must be my North American VPN there. <laughs> but again, it's like these people that judge women that are prostitutes, it's like you don't know their journey. You don't know where they're going. And is the fact that she is a down and out prostitute in the streets because she's numbing the pain because she got caught up in drugs to numb the pain and had a pimp any different to these young girls that are marrying these sugar daddies or these bunny girls that have hung around with Hugh Hefner. That was a bit of a Norfolk accent coming out there. Who Hefner? Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can speak like that if I want to. <laughs> there you <laughs> Which, go. <laughs> But again, it's like, who are we to judge anybody else's journey? And there's a few things that people will read about in Layla that she created this home. So she never had to leave the house. She had everything she needed in that space. And it's understandable from the start of her life as to why she then created this life, why she had the people working for her that she had working for her. But the thing is, people they're only looking at things through their own filter. And this is why I love traveling so much because I get to see so many different filters. And when we speak with each other and we have these conversations, these filters drop away. Mm -hmm. I don't like to filter myself. I like to be a surprise by what comes out of my mouth as everybody else. <laughs> conversation. You, can, you can play along. It's great. <laughs> I like to play. That's right. <laughs> but going back to the whole thing about the whole gender equality thing, what if you've got a guy who has been hurt that doesn't want to ask the woman? What if he is just as nervous as her? Most men you know, are. Most men are, 100%. Women are bloody scary, even to other women. Yeah, I'm scared most of the time. Yeah, I would be. This is why I spend most of the time in my room by myself. Like, I'll just go read a book or write one. Yeah. It, it, we live in a world where, you know, you're taught, like, like hands down, especially right now, you're bombarded with fear, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and don't go out. Don't talk to people. Everybody's looking for this, looking for an angle, looking for that. Like, right now, we are being driven apart. There's a reason, too, in today's day and age that you're told to stay six feet apart from people. And that's not just because the cluster bomb on your phone tracking. No, that is your heart energy. There's a reason why people hug. It's so two hearts can touch. Mm. And this heart energy is a six foot radius where people get to sense who you are. So right now we're being driven away from each other and connectivity. I'm one of those individuals who typically recharges on his own. So there's nothing for me to overly worry about. But there are people out there that I know that lived off the energy of others. So they were energy vampires, however you want to look at it, call it, persuade it, whatever it was. They're not good or bad people. There are people who create energy, and then there are people who borrow energy. And then there are people who, who, who merge, so who give freely their energy to each other. So if I give you freely my energy and you give me freely your energy, the two of us essentially create a much higher energy. And there, again, there are people who give freely and there are people who can only recharge off of others, off from others, since we're talking to an author. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yes, enunciate. Um, grammar uh, police right grammar. here. Not. Of course, of course. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's, there's rhyme and reason to all of it. There is, there's an ethos and a myth uh, to, to, to all of what we're experiencing right now, you know. 
Um, I don't know. There's just so much to it. Um, mm. I know that Leela took on um, her younger siblings, right? So all of them, different fathers. What kind of impact did that have on her as a person? Well, I could say you just have to go and buy the book and read the book, um, which would be very. <laughs> well, that's but... what's, that's what's going to happen. We are <laughs> yeah. going to go and buy the book and we are going to read the book, but I want to know, you know, and, and you can just point for me because we have jumped. We've jumped from the essence of everything, but Leela, again, they, she was just a, a quick rundown. She was a really of young girl. That her mind space, had, yeah. Yeah. She, she was, she was still a child herself. You know, she, she was seven when her brother was born. Um, she was eight, almost nine when her sister was born. They weren't quite sure how old Layla was um, when they found them. And, oh, the separation that happened. Like when I, I, I felt sucker punched um, and like the mama fire came up in me, the mama bear, like, anger um like that this young girl had been left to raise these well feed them and change them and wash them and the impact that it had on these two three four lives um and the the process of unpacking all of that for layla without guilt, without judgment on herself and what actually happened and how it all transpired. The, and then how, when she was at uni and how she then chose to live her life and chose not to have children. These things you can't, Unless you've actually seen the, the mind of the person who is sharing with you or you know of that experience yourself. This young girl, and there are many, many of them, where there are, there are parent carers that are young children taking care of their parents. You know, you've got older sisters and uh, being made to take care of the younger siblings because she's the oldest girl and the oldest brother sits there like a king. Um, you've got so many examples of why a young girl of such a young age would be taking care of younger brothers and sisters. But the communication, the non-verbal communication between Layla and her brother and sister that just watching her face as I listen to her story, they, that, that will stay with me. That will stay with me. That's a big one that, you know, it, it, it's, it's like, you know, you can't do it justice in this. That's why I say, you know, give us your words and then let us read it as well, because there's, there's a lot to it. You know, there is, there is a, there's a lot to that message, that entity, that ideology, that, that person's experience versus our experience, my experience, your experience, her, her upbringing created who she was, who she was created this story. Mm -hmm. She, she became a recluse uh, she did. later. She focused on staying in the shadows, um, channeling her power and message through her artwork. Why, 
why did she then choose to reach out to you? Do you think, well, after what she's done, after what she's been through, after the life of it all, you know, if you were to put your finger on, you know, what made her step out and say, Ms. Bates, let's do this. Um, it comes back to soul contracts, uh, the energy you put out, uh, the energy that the aura that you have, um, all of the people that are in this series that I've met in person, they've either watched from afar, um, or been referred to me by one way or another and these stories have all unfolded either instantly or over a period of time and with Layla it was most definitely a it's most definitely a soul contract and it was a because neither of us were going to be where we were meant where we were that day the way in which we came together was one of the, you know, those moments when you go, actually, this law of attraction, this whole soul contract thing. Yeah, I, I there is no way I cannot believe it now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some of us have been there, that's for sure. So do you, do you think, now, if you take yourself out of the equation, and now knowing what you know about her, mm. what, what do you think prompted her to share? She needed what? to. She needed to get it out. And as an intuitive individual such as yourself, who keeps giving short answers, what <laughs> did, did you see? Ladies and gentlemen, it's a long podcast, so thank you for bearing with us, you know, this point. But we've got a lot. There's a lot to unpack, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, you know, so these, you know, these aren't these aren't uh, short for a reason. And uh, you know, I'm sure at this point in the time you've probably broken it down and 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. The good thing about all podcasts is they pick up right where you turn them off, and that's a lot of fun. But but Don. You, you sat with this woman, you chatted with this woman, you connected with this woman. You know, the, the story is out now for everyone to, to see. Mm. You know, yes, it's easy to say she needed to share, but I know you picked something up intuitively about her, about the moment, about the time, uh, and, and, and just the idea and desire to get it out. What, what do you, like, get inside your mind's eye, get inside your heart chakra, get inside that energy. Now close your mind and envision what do you see and where do you see it? Yes, I did that. <laughs> I think she knew that it was time for her to move on and let go of that so that she could then step into that next level. But she also knew that it was time for the world to hear it because of the what's going on globally what we're seeing happen and she also knew that it would take me a while to unpack this story and process it and given the fact that it was whether you want to call it uh, a love nudge or a smack in the face from the universe for both of us um, because if you do ignore the love nudges for long enough you do get a smack in the face <laughs> um, There's just that knowing that you have to go and do something. You have to release something. And if not now, when? 
if I'm not going to do it now, when will I do it? And if I keep holding on to this, how is my healing journey or how is my life going to unfold? And how, you know, whether you know that you have to phone somebody and tell them that you love them, or you just have to ask something you've been wanting to ask for a while, and then you find out that that person has died. It doesn't, there's just that knowing that you have to have. I remember when I was 18 and I came home from, uh, came home from college, I'd been working down in Eastbourne in a hotel. Um, not as a prostitute, I will add. I was training as the hotel manager. Um, and um, <laughs> my mother would be so glad to hear that. <laughs> not that she would ever suspect that anyway i'm such a well, good girl she <laughs> she's covering for something <laughs> oh no she knows i'm far too blunt and honest to be covering anything <laughs> um i think she's just like oh my god did that really just come out of your mouth Dawn louise i was like yes <laughs> um i was i'd been away from home for about four months and i knew that my grandfather was sick um, and my mum said to me, as we were about I know, a few miles away from, do you want to go straight home or do you want to go and see your grandpa, yeah, your grandparents? And I said, like, well, I want to go see nanny and granddad. And went to see them. And I could tell that granddad was tired. And um, we had a hug and he told me that I was his favourite, obviously, like he did my brother and my sister. <laughs> I wasn't that daft, um, but I was his favourite. I was the cheapest one. <laughs> I was his favourite. Sorry, Robert. Sorry, Ellen. <laughs> not sorry at all. Sorry, sorry not sorry. <laughs> Own that stuff, Dawn. Um, and then we, um, he slipped me a fiver and said, go and spend it on something. I haven't been able to, you know, go and get yourself a new book. Isn't it funny how grandparents will always slip you money like it's drugs? <laughs> it doesn't matter what part of the country you're in it's always like some shady drug deals going here's five dollars don't tell your mother yeah go get yourself a new book mm. <laughs> and then i woke up then and then we went home and then the next morning i woke up at half a screen i know it was half a screen because i looked at my watch oh what am i doing at this time in the morning and i saw the the minute hand flick onto half a three and then I went back to sleep again. And then I woke up naturally without an alarm. And I, my mum came into the bedroom and I took one look at her and I went, he died, didn't he? He died that night. Mm. And I said, it was half past three, wasn't it? Mm. And she was like, how did you know? I went, because my watch stopped. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a, it, it's, it, it's amazing, this realm and that world. When, when my father died, I knew it as well. 2.37 in the morning. It just, whoop, it just came to me. So... You know, like I woke up and then the phone rang. It was, and then you woke up again. Yeah. Well, I woke up at, at yeah, I woke up at 2.37 and then the phone rang at 2.45 and it was the hospice to let me know. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. Like you can't, you know, you, you can't tell that story. I can't tell that story without the fact that there is additional energies and things that we don't know that, that we, that we aren't allowed to talk about. Um, and, and that's kind of the connection. I was, I was kind of trying to pull that out of you, um, but I'm going to try one more time um, by wording it differently. Do you think in your life, from your experience after meeting Layla, that you needed to tell her story more than her story needed to come out? 
And I say that because in the world that we live in now, isn't it amazing to hear an empowerment story from pain and, and strife? And isn't it amazing that you're the woman that's telling the way the world is now? Do you, what I was trying to say earlier was, do you think that it's coincidence that the world, which clearly needed to hear this message, got the opportunity to hear this woman's story and she clearly needed to say it, but they got to hear it through your voice, through your mind. You who's somebody who probably really benefited from speaking it. Do you think that that was by accident? I could give you another one of my short answers and say nothing is by accident and that there are no coincidences. And of course she had to share it with me and it had to come through me. Was that the but only, I think, I think that was the only way it was getting out. I, yeah, it was. I don't think there's anyone else that would have been as patient and been able to hold that much energy and trauma. Um, and that's not, to be arrogant but understand the levels of trauma and consciousness that it that it took to hold and actually be able to break it down with the levels of humor and when you read the book and you hear that you read the dialogue and the jokes that pass between us and the bonding of sisters through time i I've always known that I want the Nobel Prize for literature and you can't get that unless you write a body of work that impacts humanity in a powerful way. You're aspiring to win the Nobel Peace Prize. Not the Nobel Peace Prize, the Nobel Prize for literature. I just said Nobel Peace Prize. I think, I think you should go higher. <laughs> depends on your perspective i think literature <laughs> through literature i'll gain will gain peace um but sure? yeah and i do think that because i have that goal because i have that passion to make the world a better place and to encourage more people to read but through reading reflect and see things from so many different perspectives I don't feel that, and all of these random um, things that have happened for me throughout my life and the gifts that I have, whether people just think of that as the writing skill or the ability to write 15,000 words in a day or, you know, the ability to make humor um, and really traumatic things easier to digest. I called this in she needed to retell it just as much as I needed this material to be able to make sense of other things and to utilize all the stuff that I've done over the last 20 years with cultural diversity and community cohesion. Some of the projects I've worked on in that and the asylum seekers and the refugee council, all of that work that I've done gave me the foundation um, to be able to handle and interpret and then translate it in a way with also being, as my boys call, a hippie and all the witchy woo-woo stuff 
there are no accidents that I got this story when you consider all of those different elements. And, you know, if I feel, um, I feel very honored that I've been given the opportunities that I've had to um, learn about people in situations. And over the years, I've had people say to me, like, why do you do this work? Why do you bother getting involved and put yourself into situations or find out about things that are really painful and traumatic? And because I, I, I can't not be there for, um, because of, see, I don't like bullies. I don't like injustice and I don't like to see people suffering. I'm not someone who suffers fools gladly either. And I'm not going to sacrifice myself anymore. I have at some point, um, and I have given away too much of my energy to the wrong people who are leeches and energy vampires. And I've realized at the moment I stopped doing that more powerful stories came in. And the more support I had from others to be able to share those stories. These things don't, these lessons that I've learned from people sharing these stories with me, the things I learned about myself as a mother, the things that Layla's story raised in me, judgments it raised in me, that I had to then unravel and was willing to unravel in myself and then be able to share that in a book to help other people unravel that. I, I feel like I'm a conduit for all of all of this. So it's almost like you could say I'm absorbing my responsibility like we spoke about earlier. But there are far too many aspects of Layla and I coming together that had to happen i had to write this because there is nobody on the planet that could write it in the way that i've written it with the understanding the compassion and the love and the authority there is no one else and i'm absolutely 100 percent certain of that because otherwise why were we why did our paths cross in the first place yeah. soul extension soul contract i agree with that you know you you could firmly wear her shoes and that's yeah, a, I could. You know, that's a thing that that's it that counts if you if you were to say you know a a main message if you were if you were to wish the world had one solid takeaway from this chapter of the sacral series the book layla what do you think or what what in your own words would be that that solid takeaway or that piece that nugget that you know that mindset that mentality what in in your own words there what do you think that is also good job on giving the answer the last answer through all the noise as i'm watching you and the eyes close you are shutting out the background noise and digging deep to deliver that firm answer don't think that didn't go unnoticed. The audience doesn't see it, but I'm looking right at your face. You put some effort into that one. 
I did. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, Asaka. Um, the takeaway. The main. The, the main. Yeah. Without, without it, giving it away the book. Matter, just, yeah. Well, this is the thing. It's like, ah, oh, if I say that, I'm going to give away the ending. If I say that, I'm going to give away the beginning. Ah, oh, Mr. Well, Walton. We, we can skip the question. <laughs> I liked it. I mean, I mean <laughs> no, I like it. I want to answer it. So if I were, I'm if I were to give, it. if I were to give a short answer to it, I mean, it's not my book to give that answer to, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> it's just the way it goes. It would be, it would be, don't close your mind. It would be compassion. In my opinion of this, it would be ask all the questions before passing the judgment. Well, for me, that's a given anyway. I mean, I mean, not to, yes, dismiss, it is. You, it not is, to but, dismiss your takeaway, but. Okay. But I say is, that because I know that you wouldn't see that. And there's so much of the world that would be like, Hey, that's a really solid takeaway, but that's just something that you would take for granted. Something that you mm. would naturally because of that's who you are as a human. My takeaway, a big takeaway on this one would be, ask the questions before you point the finger because the world wants to point the finger. Nobody wants to ask the questions. Well, the takeaway I wanted to give is around not turning a blind eye. So I'm going to no, edit this you've just act You've just activated something in me that when I'm remembering parts of this story and some of the others that are coming in the series, the job's worth aspect of people and the oh it's not my business i'm not getting involved that's a that is part of what's massively wrong in this world massively yeah. wrong in this world you're right you're right that i i it, when you said that there was a there was a clip that that comes to mind and i can't think of it off the top of my head uh but it was it, it, it was to do with, with, again, the people not getting involved and, and the dismissal of, I mean, one of my favorite quotes of all time is, is, is the religious quote, which is, uh, you know, the only way that evil succeeds is by the, the, the lack of, of effort from good men, you mm -hmm. know, uh, to stand Don't by and do Sweden. nothing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we stand here now and, and me in my daily life, I push my ass off to get free thought out there. And I want people to see things a certain way. And I get hate. That's what mm. I get for my efforts. The people, the people make fun of me, <laughs> right? But the, it, you know, to motivate and to push people, to make people ask questions, to make people do things, to make people see whatever they need to see, you know, just so that we aren't lost in the shuffle towards the end of it all is very important. And, and to get people motivated to do things because they need to be done and because they're right, not because of, the government and not because of what these people say. We talked earlier about, about the kids, how your kids do laundry and how my niece still demands people bring milk. When those kids, when my niece grows up, unfortunately at this moment in time, if she doesn't change, when my niece grows up, she becomes the people that blindly accept what the government tell them. Yeah. And that is exactly what's happening here. You just, you, you, you turn off your ability to think and you just openly accept whatever's been handed to you. And that parlays again from that segment into what you were talking about, which was the, that the people that they just, not my business, you know, not my, you know, not my plants, not my garden, not my problem. Not my uh, job description. Yeah. 
And, and that's, that's, that's a joke too. You know, what, how do you go through life? And that's not my job description, you know, understood, but like your ego, your arrogance, how do you go through life? You know, there was, I mean, I personally live my life by, by a saying that I absolutely adore it. It's don't try to earn a million dollars, try to help a million people, you know, hmm. and that changes the whole game that changes everything. So yeah, it does. this is, these are the things that, you know, and, and that help could be uh, buy somebody a cup of coffee. It could be a pat on the back. It could be a, a shoulder to cry on. It could be an ear. It could be anything. It could be anything, you know, help a million people. Try your best to help a million people, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the world will be like, you can't even talk to a million people. Maybe that's true. But if you do your best to help a million people and you come up short, you sure as shit helped a lot more people than somebody who never tried. I was listening, but a gecko has just run across the window. Mm-hmm. A, a cream, an orangey peachy one. She got so excited right there that her eyes lit right open. It was crazy. Um, Honestly, you should see the wildlife here. <laughs> oh, no, no. Uh, the only one stopping you is you, Mr. Walton. Brazil's <laughs> Bate- borders are open. <laughs> Don Bates, the only woman globetrotting in a worldwide pandemic. Um, <laughs> my my final question, and we are going to tie this up. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been with us for quite some time now. Yes, thank um, you. I, I am going to tie this up with the, the final thought on this. What do you think would be the easiest way to change humanity's perception? Or what do you think needs to take place to alter these situations moving forward, alter people's perspectives, um, alter and not change for, to, into your perspective or change into this, but what do you think would, would help humanity become? Humanity? <laughs> yes. Yes, to, for lack of a better term. What do you think would help humanity forget the bullshit that they've been fed and become more open to the humans they're supposed to be. Well, other than read the cycle series. <laughs> Good um, answer though. It was a loaded question. Take your time. Be grateful that it's not worse or extrapolate on um, like people watch all of these um, like law and order SUV. Is it S- no SVU, <laughs> not SUV. That's a, that's the one about the truck, place. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People will watch stuff like that or they'll watch stuff like criminal minds or cold case and all they'll read all these crime thriller novels instead of just seeing them as a novel, when you read them or you watch them, just imagine that that is actually, if you, these are true stories. These are things are going on. And these directors and scriptwriters that they're not just pulling stuff out of thin air. They know these things happen. They're working with, you know, police officers and behavioral and, uh, you know, you could I could say do the research have the conversation go and work on a community outreach project all fantastic answers by the way they are but I still don't feel that they're enough because again like you were saying with your takeaway 
for me, my takeaway is just a given because that's just who I am. But go and drive to one of the areas of your city or your state, if you're in America or Brazil, or do, does Canada have states? I don't know. I don't pay attention. And we, have, we have cities there. and provinces and we have a yeah, douchebag okay. running the show. <laughs> but go to an area of your <laughs> go to, <laughs> politics <laughs> go somewhere where you are afraid to go and drive through and just sit there for a moment whether you're in the favelas of brazil or the slums of egypt or you know of mexico and it, yeah it might be scary you know the fact that you might drive through and you might get a gun pointed at your head but you know what that's live that is life for everybody I mean, I live here in Brazil at the moment, but for the next few months. And the things I'm learning and the the racial divide that I'm seeing and the, the jobs that the darker you are, the worse your job. And I'm like, we're in 2020. Why is this still going on? Hmm. And I can't get my head around it. Again, I keep saying that and I'm like, I'm, I'm not meant to, but I can understand it politically. I can understand it socially, but I can't understand it on a human level. And it, I sat in the, um, in the waiting area earlier. Well, it was a, outside a cafe. It was my big, huge waiting room with lots of plants and stuff while I was waiting to get my hair and my nails done. But um, And I was just watching everyone around me that was able to buy from the shops I was in. They were all white. Security guards and cleaners, they're all black. And I'm in a, and it's just something I can't not see. But then it's like, okay, where are these people have come from the, a lot of them have made their way from the favelas in Rio. The ones that don't give a crap about how they, um, they're, they are when they're in other people's space, they tend to be from the white privilege. And I just would love to take them through the favelas of Brazil. Um, and there's a film that's having its 10 year anniversary at the moment. Um, called the city of god it was about brazil and the favelas and when i'm watching it i'm just like oh my god that's like egypt you know and this is the thing when i lived in egypt yes i lived you know i was we lived in a very nice area but i would consciously walk through uh, a place called dar es salaam now dar es salaam in arabic means place of peace it was so not a place of peace people are like how can you walk through there I'm like, because i have to I have to see how these people live. I have to be aware of all of this because that could very easily be me. I could have been born into that situation. It's all by chance. I was born to the parents I was. They were working class. You know, mum worked in retail, dad worked on the farm. You know, I'm the first entrepreneur in my family, the first author in my family. I have broken so many chains and so many generational patterns on so many levels because I've been willing to be uncomfortable. I have been willing to walk through streets where people have got guns and just firing in the air at night and that there is absolute poverty and 
there is straw on the floor and goats in the pathway and just be able to sit and have coffee in one of those cafes and just be with the people and then go and have tea and teach the kids English from the Boeb who the Boeb is the caretaker of a building you know his family lived in the car park underneath our apartment building and whereas everybody else would just leave them clothes I'd go and have cups of tea with them um, and I would um, if there was any food left over, I would invite them. We'd all go and share it with them. I would teach their kids English. I would, you know, if I had materials left over at school when I was teaching out there, I'd go and give it to the kids. And it's not because I wanted to feel superior. It's just like, well, we're all human. Yeah. Every human person that you are judging is on a trajectory that you have no idea about. You have no idea what is behind that smile. You have no idea what is behind those eyes. And when you smile at somebody, you have no idea whether you've just stopped them from taking their own life or not. Mm -hmm. That's very true. That's a very solid statement, which, you know, not again, not to be, you know, too, too overly, you know, in the moment about it, but that there's, there's something to be said about that and the fact that we have to wear masks. You know, you take that away from people. You take away their heart energy and you take away the visual representation of a smile towards somebody. Mm. You know, so it's a, it's a strange spot to be in, obviously, where we are right now. But that was such a, a poignant way to, you know, to, to tie this up and to wrap this up. It's not on us to do anything other than be the best versions of us and hope others see it. Um, and if they don't, we just continue to be the best versions of us the best versions of us, the most understanding, the most compassionate, the most caring, you must grow into being the happiness you want to see, really. No one else can make you happy. Not truly happy. It's true. Because when they've gone or that thing is gone, you know, what are you left with? If you're not happy before, I don't, you have to be happy with yourself. Everything else is transient. Everything else is a reflection of you, which means however you are right now is, is, is being reflected right back at you. So, you know, if everything isn't working out, we, we work on that. We change it. We, we take her from our experiences. We aren't the victim. We step forward. We move. We grow. We alter. We change. We adapt. We become. That's all that we can do, I think, really. Um, and, and, and becoming is, is how, I would, how I would sign off on this uh, and, and I, I think we should. I think mm. on, on your note and on this note, we should tie this one together. Um, yeah, becoming. It, uh, Layla would like that. It's good. It's good. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add? Just thank you to everybody who stayed and listened and who is tuning in and sharing. Just mm. so much gratitude for them for being willing to go here with us. I love it. I love that. And uh, again, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Sacral Series. This is book number two, Layla. Book number three is coming. Um, and there, Pandora. There, Pandora. Pandora's box. There will be more. More books coming. More conversations to be had. More people to meet. Um, stay tuned. Stay with us. And, uh, and again, thank you for the time that you've donated with us today. Uh, and all the time that you've donated with us up until right now. Uh, moving forward. We're going to be creating some great things for you. And this is all for you. So 
So we thank you. Layla thanks you. Moana thanks you. And soon Pandora will thank you. This has been the Sacro Series. We really hope you enjoyed this chapter of the Sacral Series. Stay connected with us directly through DawnBates.com. You can also join the discussion on Instagram at Instagram.com slash RealDawnBates. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through DawnBates.com slash contact dash Dawn. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Remember to like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, embrace the awareness of your surroundings.